This Bee Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. Yeah, IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com forward slash B. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for FlexBlocks. Win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Yeah, make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com slash BE. Edutech Guys Radio, radio.edutechguys.com. The opinions expressed on the site and this program for those who participants are not intended to and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of any specific educational entity, sponsor, company, state, or government agency. Hello and welcome to EduTech Guys Radio, brought to you by Southwest Arkansas Education Cooperative and Hope Public Schools, both located in Hope, Arkansas, birthplace of former President Bill Clinton. We also want to give a shout out to CDWG <laughs> for their sponsorship through some of the equipment that we use here on the show. How you doing out there? I am one of your hosts, David Henderson. And I'm Jeff Madlock. What's with the Clinton reference? I don't know. <laughs> it is. Am I lying? Oh, no, I know what it is. Uh, David was a... Uh... He was, he was, we had a report come out that David had done some things, but nothing's going to happen to him. I did not intend. I'm sorry, I'm bringing in politics. I I did not (laughs) intend to do anything, so. That was great. That was clear. It just got out of nowhere. I was like, we've never said that before. (laughs) Well, you know, sometimes I want to change it up. I got to mix it up. I got to, you know, we got to move her. We're shaker. It's the birthplace of Bill Clinton. You know, hey, uh, welcome to the show. Catch us on the web, www.edutechguys.com. <laughs> Go to the page, drop down to the bottom, you'll find a contact uh, form. You can get in touch with us. Ask us all kinds of questions. You can also hit us up at radio.edutechguys.com, which will take you to our Mixler page. If you log in at Mixler, you can jump into the chat that we have going on live there, which is built into our broadcast. You can also catch us on Twitter, twitter.com slash edutechguys. Hashtag ETG chat. Just let us know what's going on. Tell us a few important educational things and ask us some questions. You can also catch us on Facebook, facebook.com slash edutechguys, instagram.com, edutechguys, and Google+. Plus. Just remember to put the plus sign, edutechguys, google.com slash plus sign, edutechguys. And you can get in touch with us. So, yeah, it's going to be a good show today. I'm, I'm glad to be here. It's the middle of summer. Yeah, man, we are yeah dead almost in almost summer. dead in the middle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, happy Fourth of July to all of those that on Monday it was a, a fun Independence Day on my end. Yeah, I I enjoyed American Brexit Day. Brexit. <laughs> we are the original Brexiters, aren't we? We are. Are the uh, yeah? I guess what we. That's yeah, awesome. we are, man. We we exited, Brexited. Britain. Is it really Brexit then? Because I don't know. We exited, so it wouldn't be a a Mexit, a Mara exit. <laughs> Colony exit? No, Mexit is a whole different thing. Colonial (laughs) colonial exit. I don't know. know. Uh, You have two very non history. (laughs) You have two very non history folks attempting to assign uh, slang and made up hashtags (laughs) and terms to historical things. You non history people. Yeah, we are. That's not good. That's. Uh, fortunately, we can't get fired from this job. So that's true. We just lose listeners. Oh, there went one. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Hey, uh, the summer is uh, 
winding down and right in the middle. But it's summer, now we're on the downhill summer, side of it, I think. Um, yeah. Uh, at the end of next week, we'll pretty much be a month away from most schools starting back to school. Yeah, boy. Yeah, so it, next week's show, I'll say, hey, we're a month away from <laughs> school starting out. Wow. We're just, I'm really dog walking this one. You, I? I don't know what, I don't know, I don't know where you're going. I don't know what's up with you, man. So today on the show, uh, David's done a lot of great research and, um, well, some- you know, we kind of, we, we take turns, you know, it's kind of a tag team thing. So anyway, um, and this one, the, the first thing we're going to hit, actually, I didn't have to do any research. Um, uh, one of our, uh, good friends and regular listeners, uh, Mr. Mark, uh, he reached out and shared with us um, the Digital Public Library of America. Uh, they've got a video um, of a program that talks about how to use the Digital Public Library resources uh, in classrooms. Um, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll share that out uh, with you here. And... Um, let everybody uh, follow the link and, and check it out. And now I did not watch the hour-long video, um, but what I did was uh, glean from it several points. But one of them really jumped out, and this is the one that I that I decided I wanted to share with everyone because I think this is I guess this is just crazy cool. So if you go to the Digital Public Library of America, and it's got a weird address, so it is dp.la. That's the address. So dp.la. If you go out there, um, it is it's a digital public library. So you can search for whatever topics you're looking for. So you could search, I don't know, whatever baseball or Constitution or George Washington or I don't know, whatever. So you put in a search term, and like most places you search, right? It returns a whole list of results. But what's really cool is there's a set of icons above the search results, and one of those looks like the little I am here, you know, uh, GPS navigator check-in icons, you know, the little upside-down teardrop thing. Yeah. Um, so when you click on that, though, and this is cool, you click on that, and it, the, it changes over to a map of the United States, and your search term uh, comes up with uh, – let me back up – when you click on there in the United States comes up, every state has a circle with a number in it. And that number is the number of articles that pertain to that state related to your search. So, for example, I did a search on baseball. And when I did a search on baseball and I hit the United States, it came up and, you know, certain states had, you know, hundreds of results and some had few. Arkansas in the digital public library had six results. So when I went and I clicked on the six on top of Arkansas, it was uh, a couple. There were a couple of players there. There were a couple of uh, old baseball cards. I would say circa 1909, somewhere in there. Um, there was an image there of uh, a woman who was playing softball, and I think that was from roughly 1911 or so, somewhere in there. This off the top of my head, I can't remember, and I'm not looking at it right now. But to me, that is one of the coolest resources I think that would be awesome in the classroom if you had cert if you had students researching different topics and so they went out and they did a search and then they clicked on the locator icon to pull up the map then they could find resources specific to the state you're in or if you want to incorporate uh, whatever they're searching for and other states, well, now you're getting a whole geography lesson involved with this as well. I don't. I just think it'd be. I don't know. I just think it's the potential for a classroom teacher to use this in their classroom is off the charts. I mean, it is so cool. It so, is pretty cool. So cool. It'd be interesting to build out um, the exact uh, lesson plans and to, to take a look at it. Yeah, because that would be one that would be uh, pretty interesting to figure out. Yeah, it's very cool. And they have a lot of resources. Again, that's dp.la. They've got a lot of resources on there for teachers, for parents, for uh, you know anybody who wants to go out and check out the resources that they've got at the Digital Public Library of America. The Digital Public Library of America. Cool. Yes. Very cool. Well, that's a great one. So a very special shout out to Mark who shared that with us. We appreciate it, man. He's always throwing stuff at us and um, sometimes I remember to actually talk about some of it. I usually see it after the show, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that would have been great to talk about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oops. How do we miss that? Ah, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I dropped something. Oh, Sorry. There Excuse you go. Me. Drop on it the on, air. 
Drop it like it's hot. So um, let me get past that. Um, uh, so I see here you have something about the uh, so. Let's jump into this one. This yeah, is going to be a great discussion. All right. <laughs> so, uh, Vanessa Monterosa. Yes. So, Twitter handle at edtech underscore FTW mm-hmm. uh, asks the question: Digital tattoo versus digital footprint, which is more, which is a is the more appropriate term? Right. So, let me set up kind of let me let me set this up, and then I'm going to let you. Let me. <laughs> so essentially, <laughs> essentially, what she's asking is, which of those two terms is actually more appropriate for what happens when you are um, leaving your mark online? And her point is that for her, she thinks digital tattoo is a better description because if you think of a tattoo, an actual tattoo you know, once you get one of those, it's very hard to get that off of your body once you've already got one, right? Mm, And especially the bigger it is, the more spread out it is, the more involved it is, the harder it is to get rid of that big sprawling tattoo that you've got on your chest that you don't want anymore, (laughs) right? Like you say, that big sprawling tattoo that you have on your chest. (laughs) What? I'm just saying. I do have a digital tattoo on my chest. I'm sure you do. So, <laughs> on by the other hand, digital footprint, where when you leave a footprint somewhere, for the most part, it's gone within moments, right? Think of, you know, leaving a footprint in the sand, the water comes in, washes it away, it's pretty well gone, right? Leave your footprint in the carpet, uh, it's pretty well gone before long. So, you know, now, leave your digital foot, you leave a real footprint in, say, cement, that's going to be a little more permanent. Well, that would be a tattoo. So would it be a tattoo? Yeah, I, I see I this. Know. Are you and, tattooing the cement? And I agree. Anyway. I mean, you think about it. There, there are a lot of places online where you're just leaving a footprint. And eventually over time, it's, it's going to disappear. And uh, the more I think about it, there's not that many. <laughs> you know. Well, it's interesting. I mean, your, your cash is a footprint. Sure. And it can be wiped. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it can. you know, locally, uh, you know, it's interesting. I mean, the digital tattoo part, it, well, even on Facebook, uh, just lately, uh, someone made a <laughs> – people make drunken rants. There's a problem with, with Facebook Live. Oh, know? yeah. So someone made a, a, a rather ridiculous rant on Facebook – and everyone was like, I can't believe this person did this. Oh, my gosh. And several people saved the link and, you know, supposedly saved the video. But when the person sobered up or came to their senses and realized what they'd done and removed it, it actually disappeared from even links and shares because it didn't exist anymore. It didn't let them actually save the video that they thought they had saved. It was just a link. So it disappeared. So, I mean, you can kind of clean up your, you know, it's, it's painful. It's like right. it's like getting a tattoo removal with the lasers. Yeah, you know, it's going to be painful to right. remove it. Right. So I mean, I guess it. Okay, it, but by the same token, if if I had seen that and I used uh, the screen capture utility that I use when I'm recording my games for my YouTube channel, then yeah, and then I saved that off as an MP4, then you win the internet. Then so you know that person thinks they scrubbed away that tattoo, but really there is somebody else out there who has it and then they could turn around and put it right back out there. So, you know, they think that they just left a footprint and the water came in and, and washed away their footprint, but actually it turns out, ha ha ha, you know, snodly whiplash over here. But you know, it's interesting when you say digital footprint, I don't think people, you know, that's that a footprint is just like we're, I agree with you there. It's a footprint, you know, it's a footprint. Well, I've never seen a permanent footprint. Except in concrete or uh, statue or right. you know, but our, everything else about a footprint is not permanent, so it doesn't really last. So I can see where that one, if you said digital tattoo to drive home the idea of internet uh, security and, and best use, I think tattoo makes, makes it, it better. better because, because, sure. Now, here's the other side of that. That is thinking of the term, quote unquote, footprint as that type of footprint. Okay, but footprint could also be, you know, think think about when you are talking about how much space your laptop occupies. You talk about its footprint. When you talk about, 
you know, a lot of folks talk about the carbon footprint. What is your carbon footprint? Well, that's not the same kind of footprint. They're talking about how much carbon is your contribution to the world at large. So, you know, so if you look at footprint from that direction, um, really, to me, at that point, because the definition of or the way we're using the word footprint changes under that context, really, footprint and tattoo end up being essentially synonymous, I think, anyway, just... I mean, I to me, so. just because because you're talking about footprint in that context, you know, the equivalent of saying a carbon footprint, you know, your carbon footprint. Well, and I don't know, I guess I guess maybe the more we think this through, um, your carbon footprint can definitely change depending on what actions you take and or frankly, how much you believe what's being said. But, you know, I think the same thing could be true of the same type of footprint digitally. You know, if you're talking about how much how much space you take up digitally, all your ones and zeros packed together to make the space you occupy in the online world. I don't know. I don't know. That's hmm. I hadn't really thought of it that way until we started talking about it. So, well, um, it, it, it it's also in context. I don't know why Vanessa Monterosa decided we should change the term but the context if you yeah, I have no idea I mean that that was the tweet <laughs> it really was which one is a better term okay uh, the context matters because if I'm talking to uh, kids and I say a tattoo to them and a footprint that's completely two different sure, things to a kid. exactly I mean, they think of a tattoo as something that's going to be in your body forever right and never going to come off so I think if you're trying to discuss what happens on the web and what's going to stay forever, yeah. then digital tattoo will make a larger impact to a younger audience. It's like, okay, oh, my digital tattoo, yeah, it's never going to be gone. Right. It might fade a little bit, but it's never going to be gone. Right. A footprint you can eventually get rid of. Yeah. I, I like I like that analogy. Um, and I mean, I really love the visual of that. It may fade, but it's not really gone. You know, because even even when you get a tattoo – and you have it removed, it's the 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 remnants of what was there is still, at least from the folks that I've seen who have tattoos removed, you can tell something was there. You know, you can't, you know, the 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 exact tattoo is gone and you can't, you know, whether they try to change it with something else or they, you know, try to do some kind of skin grafting type thing, but you know, if it was on my upper arm and I showed it to you, you'd still be able to tell that at one point there was something there. So digitally, you know, even if you, you know, digitally speaking, would that be a similar situation? You know, some of the things that you think you've done a good job of, re- of, erase- or of erasing that digital tattoo actually there could still very well be remnants I agree. of it. Yeah. I don't know. That's I like that visual that you came up with. That was cool. I think that's and, – and it like I said, context. If you're trying to make people understand that this is never going away, it's right. going to be here a long time, then I can see why we would use that in that context. Yeah. Um, hey, listen, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, catch a little music. We're trying to change around the format of the yeah. show. Yep. Uh, and uh, this is a Nick C. A uh, song we like to play from Nick. This is from his new album. Check him out, Nick C N I K S E A dot com. Nick C dot com. This is completely yours. We'll be right back with some more Edge Tech guys. Ain't no better feeling 
You're listening to Edgy Tech Guys Radio, coming to you live from the Southwest Arkansas Educational Co-op. You know, we were just talking about digital tattoos and a digital footprint. That's a Vanessa Monterosa at edtech underscore FTW on Twitter. Uh, she had posted um, digital tattoo versus digital footprint, which is more appropriate term. Huh. And David and I were ta- discussing it, and I threw out that I think that when you're it, depending on the context you're using it, if you're using it talking to students, especially young students, sure. about your digital mark on you know your life in the web, then I can see digital tattoo in their minds being something that's permanent as compared to a footprint. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. I think yeah. that's – so I just want to bring you back in. Uh, you're listening to Nick C, N-I-K-S-E-A dot com, a little music there. Yeah, man. We're trying to change up the format of the show a little bit so that we can uh, – keep ourselves paced we get a little carried away sometimes <laughs> we know you guys get tired of listening to us you gotta have a break your ears need a rest hey listen uh, if you're listening to the show like to uh, phone in a comment we'll play it on the air if you'd like to 870-729-1414 is the edutech guys comment line uh just record your message there and we'll pick it right up and turn right around and probably play it on today's show that's yeah. the way we do things so if you have a comment there or hit us on twitter at Hashtag ETG chat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can catch us there. Facebook, uh, Instagram, Google Plus. Just look up Edgy Tech Guys. <laughs> exactly. And the number again they can call is 870-729-1414. Also hit the Twitter page that's out there on Twitter, and it will be popping up there again in just a second. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, I think you mentioned this hashtag etg chat we're monitoring that on tweet deck so uh you the can uh, feel free to reach out that way or if you don't feel comfortable with that and you'd rather just uh, reach out directly you can uh, direct message at edutech guys and we'll check out what you got to say um so um any more you want to talk about Tattoos, footprints. No, no, you ready we'll stop, to, you we'll ready stop to move? the whole digital, <laughs> digital. Uh, Are we ready to move on? Versus Are you good? You okay? Yeah, we'll, we'll stop that one. All right. So one of the other things that I came across, um, there is, and this is about to get a little convoluted, but just stick with me. Um, Meg Conlin, who writes for EdTech Magazine, did an article um, from ISTE, which was last week, uh, and she did the article about Jason Oler's presentation of the five next big trends that are reshaping education. And so um, it kind of jumped out at me for a couple of reasons. One, because uh, a couple of the trends we have talked about, um, in, in some cases at, at very long length, uh, already here on EduTech Guys, and you can check those out in previous episodes uh, at 
radio.edutechguys.com. You can jump over to the show reel and uh, you can check out some of the other uh, shows that we've done where we've covered some of these topics. And then some of them, um, frankly, a couple of them I, I was not familiar with at all. So it forced me to do some quick research and check things out. So let, let me start out by giving the bullets. What are the five, according to Jason Oler, uh, what are the five big trends that are going to reshape education? Um, they are big data. Am I yelling into the mic? Oh, okay. <laughs> they are big data, augmented reality, semant- the semantic web, extreme BYOD, we'll, and we'll, we'll talk about each of these, and then transmedia storytelling. So uh, this is, yeah, and, and again, some of those, I was like, I don't even know. What, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, that, that transmedia storytelling gets me a little. <laughs> transmedia I know. Is that, is that like transmentodated? Uh, trans, what is that? Trans, I can't remember what I'm trying to say now. Uh, transmedia. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay, so big data. Yes. Sorry, I got stuck is it on a big trend? the whole meditation. It it's a, whatever that trans. It's funny okay. that the they're, they're big data now in education, that that's no, big data has been a big deal in a long time, man. not just in education, but I mean, no, but well, I think the point is, you know, big data has been out there you know, you know, a long, long time. Um, but in terms of its impact on and reshaping of education, it, to me, that's still not really a new thing. Um, there are several companies, um, mm-hmm. and, and I won't name them. But especially one big one um, that have been uh, messing with uh, messing probably not collecting <laughs> collecting okay. using uh, student data in all sorts of different ways for a long long time through various uh, applications uh, programs testing mechanisms uh, where they've collected this data for decades yeah. And have used the data accordingly. I mean, not accordingly, but you know, they've subsequently used that data in all kinds of different ways. Mm-hmm. Some of them, uh, frankly, I, I would argue, would borderline some you know nefarious activities in terms of what they're doing with the student data in order to generate whatever it is they're trying to do with that data. So here's the interesting know. thing with big data to me in education is one. The way they're what they're moving to. So now we're talking about cameras in every classroom, catching every expression and you know every nuance of what the children are doing. Microphones catching all the audio mm-hmm. and, you know, and analyzing. That's that's all data. Sure. Are the kids wearing Fitbit like devices where we're catching how much they're moving or you know how right. much they're paying attention? And you know, big data has always been a big thing. But the problem with data in education is that we don't have time to analyze it and we don't have time to use it. And and that's become, to me, that's a big deal because a school district might love the idea of, well, we're gonna use data and the data wall, and the data this and the data that. Well, who eventually is gonna be the one to do that? That's gonna be the teacher. Right. It's gonna be the teacher that's gonna be able to do that. And that teacher is gonna have to be trained right. on how to do that. <laughs> and you know, so, I mean, I think that data, big data, will be a big deal. <laughs> oh, it's when, definitely a big deal when they make the right software to do most of the work for you. You know, but in that, I think the interesting part with, you know, you can follow clicks on a website, and you can follow Jeff gets his most sleep. His Fitbit tells us he right. sleeps well here, but when you get down to the other things of it, it takes a human element to take that data and aggregate it into the sense of now how do I make this so that David is a better reader in my classroom right exactly and so we're, we're this puts us right back into maybe we've got some you know where it's one more thing one more thing one more thing to add to the load of the, the person closest to what's happening you know the production and that's the teacher right or districts have to start hiring more people to you know disaggregate the data and then tell the teachers, this is what you need to do. Well, districts don't have that kind of money. And, and right. there's there's the next problem. I mean, so I, I think big data is a really interesting thing. But I think it would be interesting if we just found the really key pieces of it. If we can find that these are the three key pieces of data that yeah. can give you, you know, 40% of what you need to know about a kid. That, that's a lot. Oh, yeah. If we could get, you know, a 40% insight to students, hey, 
I, I would go for that. Sure. And, and if any educators are listening or, you know, think about that, they're like, you know, you're all right, I can, I can deal with 40%. You know, yes. Unfortunately, in our brains, we are hooked to, well, an 80 is a, a B and a, a 90 is a, mm-hmm. an A. You know, no, you've got to remember real world numbers here, you know. Right. Well, you also have, you know, if you, if you, are, a, if you are a person who enjoys data, and, I, and I'll tell you right now, my wife is one of those people. She loves, she loves getting the data. She loves um, analyzing the analysis of data, right? Mm-hmm. So she doesn't necessarily enjoy analyzing the data, but once it's been analyzed, she likes to take that and analyze those results. Sure. And then she's the type of teacher who takes that data and says, oh, these particular students are you know, I know they're behind in X, Y, Z, but now I see why they're behind in X, Y, Z. And she will use that to her students' advantage. There are other teachers that we that we know who <laughs> are not that way. You know, frankly, if I were a teacher in the classroom, that it would be hard for me. I'm not a numbers person. I'm not a data person. I'm, you know, so it would be hard for me to interpret that. Now, if I had some help, like you were talking about, you know, if the school could hire somebody or provide somebody who could help me and show me and say, oh, okay, well, then then I would do what I could. However, a further step removed, sorry, but you know there are people out there, there are certain educators that they have whatever the biases are. Uh, well, I know so and you know I know that kid. He was so and so's brother, and that's so and so's son, and yeah. you know so this kid. You know, yeah, you want to know why they're not a good reader because their dad's a no good such and such. No, you know, right. come on. But that is how they see things. Right. So I'm curious as to how when when you've got data, and even when it's presented. Well, heck, I mean, you see this even outside of classrooms when data is presented. And there's no denying this is where the data sits. And by the way, here is a path to resolving the issue that the data shows the student is having. And yet the walls go up anyway. I go, no, that's not it. I'm, I'm not doing that. Right. I think that's why, you know, that's where I was getting at. I think that when data is presented, and I think this is the move that I see. This okay. is the move I see in data. And, and you're exactly right. Individualized um, pinpointing of you know david this is his issue Mm -hmm. that's hard for people to buy into teachers it's hard for them but i think if we say stuff like well we have the data for the six these sixth grade girls do better in math after exercising or these these boys do better these uh these girls do better and boys do better in lab and the boys are bored in lab and we have this data to perform that to show that when boys do this and we start making you know kind of a, a broader sure using data to, to to help us back that kind of stuff like you know these boys do reading better in the morning and they read better when they're equally mixed with girls if it's all boys reading they don't right. read as well okay yeah I, I think that if that's the way and i think that's the trend that we see is that is that that's the way it's moving? You know, big data used in those senses. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. And, and yeah, I think absolutely, if, if we could push that more, and you know, it's easier for a school. Uh, you know, if I bring in all the teachers into junior high, seventh and eighth grade, and I go, great, here's the ten things we found: uh, girls read better after exercising, boys work better in mixed groups when they're reading. You know, blah blah blah. Right. And oh, well, I can do I can do three of those right now. Right. I'll just, yeah, I'll put those down. Right. I can, I can make sure that happens, and I think, right. and that buys them into it. And so then down the road, when you come in and go, hey, listen, we've been monitoring. The, you know the 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 low performing students in your class. Right. David needs this. Jeff needs this. Right. They're going to buy into it because well yeah I've seen that you know I've seen this happen right. with the group yes, and now exactly. I think I could buy into that. Exactly. Well let's jump. In. So the next uh, bullet point in that um, the Jason Oler's uh, five big trends is augmented reality. Right. Well, which which has been beat to death. But. <laughs> And yet we're going to bust out the whip. And actually, I don't think we really do have to get out and, and beat this one to death. We've talked about this multiple times on the show. Um, the impact of augmented reality, whether it's uh, looking at something like 
Elements 4D where you have the little cubes and you you know yeah. you point an iPad at it and when yeah. you connect the two cubes of you know you, you take yeah. hydrogen you take oxygen yeah. they look 3D and when you touch them together now the cubes are filled with virtual sure. water I mean well, or so, you go all the way, go all the way to, to dissecting a frog 10 years ago well the that's first, true yeah, like frog first, guts yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, augmented reality has been around a while sure. it, it just brings now with the technology right where it is you know iPads and tablets and Microsoft Surface Pros and and, and you know Hive goggles and, and Oculus Rift and yeah. yeah we can now study things we never studied in a poor district with you know just a chair and a table right exactly and a device yeah. so I, I don't think we need to go into augmented reality because I think everyone would probably agree there that yeah augmented reality that's uh it's been around and it's only going to get better because technology is getting better and, and there's the access to it I mean just side note. I mean, at this point, Verizon and AT&T are giving away VR headsets if you get a certain phone. Right. You know, well, come get this Samsung phone and, you, hey, we're going to give you a VR headset. Right. Well, and that drops into with, uh, that drops into what Google's doing with Expeditions. You know, right. Just, I mean, right. they've realized, everybody's realized, uh, and Google, later here in a second, we'll talk about some other stuff that Google's done. Um, they're, they're really getting into that kind of stuff heavy. They were doing so with project blocks. Remember that whole project they did where it actually had the blocks that were, um, one would be a power, one would be an action with arrows, and you block these blocks together, and it would do the programming at the same time. Right, right. So I think that's uh, that's a given. I think we're seeing that happen. Yeah, uh, what was yeah. the next one? All right, so the next one is what's being called the semantic web. The or Internet of Things. Yes, exactly, <laughs> the Internet of Things. Uh, what, is, what is now evidently being dubbed Web 4.0, I don't know. <laughs> I, just, I, I have an issue with, with assigning version numbers to the web. I've always have. It's always been an issue with <laughs> me. But let me get past that and say, so the semantic web and how it's going to impact education. This, with with what they're talking about here in the semantic web. Oh, and by the way, I don't know if we mentioned this or not, but we'll post the links to the um, EdTech Magazine article and to Jason Oler's uh, uh, presentation page from ISTE when we get done with this, um, or at some point. Um, so anyway, with semantic web, uh, it, that really is the Internet of Things. It is everything being interconnected and tied to each other. And so you have... Um, you know, students who have, uh, I don't know, uh, an Android device that's talking to the, um, oh my gosh, I just, what's the name of the goofy little computer? Uh, holy cow. Raspberry Pi. Raspberry Pi. Thank you. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, I just, how did I forget food? Um, so you have, you know, an Android talking to a Raspberry Pi that's making this robot do this, that's connected to, you know, this web portal that's out there doing this and doing that. And, you know, so everything is all interconnected. And then how that all ties into the classroom use and where that's going in education in general. And I think, really, I think we're already seeing a lot of that coming to fruition in terms of, you know, the stuff that makerspaces uh, are doing. And, and this, this is kind of one of those things that, you know, again, we've talked about this plenty on the show. <clears throat> but things like um, not just not just um, electronic digital content in terms of makerspace. You know, give somebody some scissors some th and some thread and some material, and guess what? They can make. Um, but with this semantic web, with the, everything being connected, the Internet of Things, now you've got somebody who's making, um, well, like Ginger Lumen tells the tale of that girl who made a headband that's got sensors in it uh, so that when that person who has leukemia uh, is having a fever and they either don't know they're having a fever or they can't express that they're having a fever, it glows red based on the temperature of the person's head mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever other environmental issues, if they're cold, if they're, you know, whatever. That to me is where that whole interconnected thing comes in. And, and I, I believe that makerspace is helping with that. Yeah. get things connected that you wouldn't necessarily think go together. I agree. It's interesting because, you know, what's the number like? Like by 2020, 20 billion devices will be, you know, 
Yeah. But you know, I think it's interesting because when most of us think about connected, we think, well, it's the cloud and it's Wi-Fi. Well, no, it's also Bluetooth. It's right. uh, Zigbee, <laughs> NFC, RFID. Exactly. I, I think we, for, we forget what's connected and what the kids know is connected. Right. And what we can use in education. Sure. Once again, the hurdle that we hit here that ISTE and FETSI and HISTE, <laughs> all the E's. All the E's. Yeah, what's the E's out there? Um, <laughs> all that stuff tries to, to help teachers learn is how to incorporate this. And I think you're right. That's where makerspace is. I think that's the breakdown. You used to tell the story about you know using the making of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich mm-hmm. to show people the process. And I think that the inclusion of makerspaces in school helps not only students but teachers understand the process and the teaching and learning of the process right so that when hour of code jumps around or we're you know we're starting to use RFID and our NFC and Raspberry Pis to do this and this project and make the hot air balloon do this or open the valve for this right sure then that whole makerspace helps them move into it so I think that just screaming web 4.0 and I you know internet of things IOT is just uh, you, you got to get a little more specific. You mm-hmm. got to get a little more, you know, down to basics. I think that's what Makerspace has done. It's brought us back to the basics. You know, it's yeah. it's, it's getting yeah. us back to with the understanding that this is the basics, but it's going to move really fast, and we're moving to this point. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's. I think that's a really interesting. So, but wait, it's gotten happens? us back to building, to making right. things. I mean, literally, you know, in the literal sense, making things. Well, see, that's interesting because. That's a part of of edu- public education that a lot of schools don't you know, in, understand. And yeah. People don't understand. I, sure. I grew up in a household of mechanics. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be a musician. What? You don't get dirty. Right. You don't come home <laughs> greasy and tired from being a musician. How can you make, you know, fix things? And But that's just it. Right. It's right. the same thing with, wait, you do what? You sit in an air-conditioned room, you have a cereal bar, and you code all day? Right, I, yeah. How do you make things there? You're crazy. Yeah, yeah. see, so I think that's <laughs> I think that's the interesting part of what's happening. But I do have a question. What happened? I, I didn't see Web 3.0. Did it fly right by me? Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, okay, so so in the vernacular of, of assigning versions to the web, Essentially, Web 3.0 is the um, it, it's taking interactivity that was on the web and and taking it to the next level. So, in a weird sort of way, um, it's it's not just the social media. At least this is my interpretation. And if you're out there listening, by all means, chat us up. Let us know you know what you think. But from my perspective, Web 3.0 is where the collaboration, online collaboration, came into play. So you took things like online forms, online documents, whatever. You know, okay, so you've been able to do that for a while, eh, whatever. So then what Web 3.0 actually did was take those pieces and parts and combine them so that I can, not only can I create an online document, but I can invite you in and we can work on it, not only work on it, together but together at the same time and i think that's where web 3.0 sort of i think in terms of 2.0 3.0 4.0 i frankly i think of course i don't agree with the whole numbering thing anyway but i think that's where that it was just kind of a big blur you know we went from okay so now we went from these static pages to where now i can actually interact with them to now i can actually collaborate through them to now that collaboration is leading to a connected document or digital artifact that is actually a part of something bigger. And I think that's where, so I think that's where, in a nutshell, I think that's where 3.0, it was the collaboration piece and the um, the bringing together of separate um, interactive kind of quote unquote web 2.0 pieces mm-hmm. where you bring those together to make it something more. That was kind of the three. That's cool. At least that's my take on it. I believe you. Because anyway. I'm, I'm easily swayed. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to take a really quick break here, uh, drop out to a quick musical. This is uh, Nick Flora with a song called Kick and Scream. You might recognize some of this tune. Be right back with EduTech Guys.
Hey, you're listening to edutechguys.com, coming to you live from the Southwest Arkansas Educational Co-op. If you'd like to call in and tell us what you think about the show, what you think about the topics, 870-729-1414. That's 870-729-1414. Be right back. Laura here on EduTech Guys Radio. I hope you're uh, enjoying the music interlude. We got a couple of things we want to uh, finish up with. The um, we're in the middle of talking about uh, Jason Oler's five big trends that are going to reshape education. We talked about big data. We talked about augmented reality. We talked about Web 4.0, the Internet of Things. So the last two things. One, extreme BYOD, and the other, transmedia storytelling in schools. And we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. Uh, Time is quickly uh, just flying by, man. This has been awesome. Okay, so extreme BYOD. You know BYOD. Bring your own device. A student brings their own whatever, Chromebook, laptop, phone, iPad, whatever it is they're bringing. With extreme BYOD, it's not only that the student brings that device with them, but that they are allowed to bring whatever other mm-hmm. pieces, parts, whatever they want that come with that. So my thinking is along these lines, to keep it simple. Uh, you have uh, a student who brings the their iPad with them, and they're going to do some, I don't know, recording in class. They happen to have a Sure microphone. With the lightning cable, right. they plug it in, and guess what? It's not just the iPad that they brought from home, but it's also the microphone. Right. Are they bringing the Apple Pencil to art class? Are they bringing exactly. the VR headset for yes. this? Yes. Yeah. You know, it would just to, we'll, we'll, we'll jump on that. And that's kind of just basic, exactly what we're talking about, yeah. extreme BYOD. But, you know, I've been talking a lot with, with my superintendent and others about this, and I think we're at the point where BYOD is the answer. And the reason I think it's even more of that is because the the availability of it and mm-hmm. the ability to afford it. You know, I was a band director for years. Sure. And when we start sixth grade band, we bring the kids and they get to try out all the horns. And then the band company that's there, the local band company or whoever is there, the band shop or the music store is there. And they have the ability for parents to rent horns. So my son wants to play trumpet. Well, that'll be $21 a month. And if he doesn't make it through six band and he hates it and he's going to play football or something else and he doesn't want to do it, then uh, you've been making the $21 payments. Just give us the horn back and we'll see you later. Exactly. You know, I mean, and not only is it ridiculously affordable, mm-hmm. you know, in the long run, by the 10th grade, the horn's probably paid off. Sure. And so you now own a horn. So I think that that's where we're, we start to look at. People say, well, technology changes too quickly. Really? I've got an iPad 2 still in the classroom. Right, right. So I would beg to differ. And, you know, sometimes in, in education we throw, you know, well, we're going to talk about chopping wood today. So I've, I've, each one of you with the district has bought a uh, $1,200 Husqvarna, you know, <laughs> three-foot super chainsaw. Right. You know, it, sometimes we say, well, we're going to need those for growth. Well, how many schools can say, well, we actually did grow? No, we didn't. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, I think BYOD also gives a buy-in for the parent. You know, 
that's that to me is that's one of those things. Well, you need to keep up with that, right? Because I mean, as long as the district says we need a device that does this, this mm-hmm. is your this is your list. There's not 64 crayons in a box and right. erasers. Right. Now this is what it needs to be do. So we don't care what device you buy your child. If you buy them a two thousand dollar device mm-hmm. or you buy them a twenty dollar device, as long as it does these things, right? We're good with it. Yeah. And, you know, and if a district could help provide, well, this company's coming on on Thursday, and they will have these devices that you can rent for, you know. Yeah, I can get a Chromebook for $8 a month. Right. Or I can go and I can get an iPad Pro 9.7, 256 gig for, you know, $180 a month. Well, yeah, whatever. And, and, you know, and that's just, that's life. Right. That's why some people right. drive small cars and some people drive big cars. Uh, exactly. So. Exactly. Cool. Transmedia storytelling. All right. So essentially um, what this means in plain English in terms of, of the terms here, transmedia storytelling is taking uh, a story and telling that story across multiple types of media. So uh, it could be uh, where it's involved with, uh, I don't know, maybe you have a bunch of students working together and there's a Google Doc and by the and, and the story is also being told um, or continuing through, uh, I don't know, maybe a video that's posted on YouTube or something. I, you know, it's so it, it, you're, you're using multiple types of media to get this story out. And in some ways, that's already being done, especially in the in the private sector. You see uh, a lot, um, and, and you know it can be something simple as, or I would say, as simple as uh, you've got a company who's uh, posting tweets about I don't know some new product that's coming out that they're telling a story about, and at the same time, there's different content related that's going out on their Facebook page. Oh yeah, and by the way, we've also got uh, a handful of 30-second YouTube videos that also tie the whole thing together so that when the whole thing comes together, it's telling a single story. Um, You've already seen, we've already seen this in commercials on TV where the commercial comes on, it plays for a little bit, and at the end of the commercial they say, go to, you know, such and such car dealership you know, dot com slash marriage, right? Yeah. And then you, you get to see the rest of the story well, in a different Shazam way. Or, at the or, of oh, yes, yes, yeah. Shazam this, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So very similar, but applying that in education. So you have students doing the storytelling transmedia. You have the districts themselves telling their story through transmedia. And so that, that was one of the things that... Uh, I don't know if he's a mister or a doctor, so forgive me, but uh, that's one of the things that Mr. Oler uh, says is going to uh, really reshape education is incorporating transmedia uh, storytelling in the school environment. Cool. So there you go. Well, um, uh, boy, today is just flown by. <laughs> yeah. So let's jump into uh, one little quick wrap-up point. You know what time it is. It's time for... The Google app of the week, Ooh, tip of the week, you're something. Getting, you're getting Man, better at that. I was close, and then really I close. flubbed the words. So um, this is all you, baby. This is all <laughs> me, baby. Okay, so uh, I just wanted to do something goofy and light and kind of fun you know, in terms of, of what to do with Google. So a couple of things you can do with Google image search. If you go to Google and you search for Atari Breakout, and just that's what you type in, Atari Breakout, tell it to search, it will do it, and then uh, again, make sure you're doing an image search. It will return uh, the thumbnails uh, of, from the image results into an Atari breakout game, and you use your mouse to move the platform back and forth at the bottom, and the ball will bust out the different uh, thumbnails. Oh. Uh, it, it, it's a breakout game. Fun. So, you know, yeah, very cool. Um, here's, I, I found a, a couple of oldie but goodies. Uh, one in a Google search, you can type "do a barrel roll" and it will rotate your screen all the way around. And then you can also do a skew, a s k e w, a skew, and that will um, make your screen well a skew. <laughs> It'll make it whopper jot, as they like to say down here. Um, you can also um, do some really cool things in Google search for your classroom if you type "timer." in a Google search, it will actually put a digital timer on the screen and the default is five minutes, but you can click in there and set how many minutes you want. Yeah, so it's a free countdown timer. In that same box at the top, there's a stopwatch feature so you can do the opposite. So you could tell it to start and it would count up. So a couple of Google tips that I thought were kind of fun and different and I don't know, kind of cool. So yeah, there you go. That's your 
Google tip of the week. Yeah, you're getting better at that. Thanks. Yeah, congrats. <laughs> hey, listen, I did want to give a shout out. Uh, while we were talking about uh, Extreme BYOD, one of mm-hmm. uh, the listeners had had um, chatted oh, in cool. and had said, you know, uh, so what keeps the, the what keeps the stuff from getting stolen? And uh, the only problem is that is the teacher buy-in and training to be multi-platform. And what does that look like? Mm. And I responded is, is hey, it, that's not our stuff. You know, it's no different than, you know, that's, that's where the buy-in comes in handy. Mom, someone stole my colors. Yeah. Okay, well, where did you lay them down at? Well, I laid them down on the playground or I mm-hmm. laid them down at the bus line when I was getting ready to leave and someone took them. Well, why did you leave your $800 iPad laying down and you didn't keep it in? I mean, that's one of those things that, yes, I see the issue there. And But the thing comes down to learn to keep up with your stuff. <laughs> Scratching my elbow. Sorry about that. <laughs> the other thing is, is that the teacher buy-in. Um, my answer was, well, with the Internet of Things, it's supposed to be a common platform. We're getting there. The other part of it is, is that I don't think the teacher has to worry about the device. I think the teacher has to worry about the output. The product, right? That's all the teacher needs yeah. to worry about. This is yeah. the product I want. Now, and and there's the beautiful part of it. If a parent and a student choose an Android device or a Microsoft device or a Google device or an Apple device, and the teacher says, "I need this, and these are the parameters that I need," mm-hmm. whatever it is, and the student produces that, well, then that student is building the relationship with the device that has been chosen for them, or they help choose with their parents, right? That is going to make them, you know, more adept at using that device. Um, I don't see schools getting rid of everything. I see still schools. To me, BYOD Extreme means that it would be great if a school had a massive Microsoft lab and a massive Apple lab and a beautiful Chromebook set you know, here and there. So the students had their devices, but you know, they could also at any time get experience on these other de- sure, devices sure. that they would be using. Well, and, and I think along those same lines, um, I think you're always going to have uh, an issue with buy-in. Uh, you know, teacher buy-in, heck, some student buy-in. I think that's always going to be an issue. And so you have to figure out um, what works best for your district in terms of helping that buy-in come along. Mm -hmm. Um, I think things like just BYOD in general, but especially with, say, extreme BYOD, I think what that's going to do is I think that's going to change the nature and the function of what the technology support folks do. Right, we would no longer be running around uh, having to support district-owned equipment. We might be helping students uh, or teachers, for that matter, with these particular devices. Oh, they can't get their phone to work with their, you know, virtual reality headset. So, okay, well, they can't. You know, the students having some trouble, so the tech person is going to be there, and that's what they're going to do. It, it, there's, it's no, it's not curriculum based. It's not. Right. I mean, heck, it's not even district-owned equipment based. It's right. you know they're going to help the student figure it out, uh, and I think that's really going to change the nature. Now, I will tell you, and we've talked about this before as well, uh, real quickly. Uh, I I had gone up and, and visited with a district uh, in the northwest section of the state, and they were moving ahead with technology, and they the 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 administration drew the line on the floor and said, "This is where we're going. If you are not going to come along." Here's a package for you. We'll be happy to give you a good reference, but you're not going to be here anymore. And that's the way it should be. And too. I'm sorry, but I, sometimes that's what it comes down that's to. That's what it has to be. And I know that's to. a harsh, very harsh reality for some folks to face, but sometimes that's what you have to do in order to move forward. Well, and to wrap that, that thought up right there and wrap up the, the topic is that if you don't do it, if a district doesn't make that decision and start making it soon, Someone's going to make it for you. Yeah, that's exactly right. And we're going to find ourselves in a much bigger problem. Yes, that is very true. Hey, listen, it's been a great show today. Don't forget that we're out there in other places. Uh, Yeah. AESA, some stuff that's coming up for us in the fall is uh, AESA, November 30th through December 3rd in Savannah, Georgia. Uh, David and I will be there uh, live. If you're going to be there, come on and see us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, Fetzy in Florida. That's going to be awesome. January 24th through the 27th, 2017 in uh, beautiful Orlando, Florida. Check us out there. Um, it's been a great show. I want to thank Chad Brinkley for writing in and, and talking with us. Next week on the show, uh, one of the topics that we're going to be looking at is how tech-based learning spaces are helping spark creativity. Yeah, okay. think of this. Technology incubators at the school level. 
We've nice. discussed it before. Yeah. Should be pretty cool. That'd be cool, man. Hey, listen, I'm Jeff Madlock. I'm David Henderson. You've been listening to the EduTech Guys. You've been listening to EduTech Guys Radio, radio.edutechguys.com. The opinions expressed under the site and this program are those of participants and not intended to and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of any specific educational entity, sponsor, company, state, or government agency. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com forward slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com forward slash BE. Do you want to save time on prep work? Increase achievement for all student populations? Reliably meet tier one standards? You, you can, can do, do it, it all. all. But, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.